0: Namur Tasab Kuwaitu Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namur Tasab Kuwaitu Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namur Tasab Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Udhang Sang Today being the full moon day of uh, March or if it's the uh, Pali calendar, it's the month of Magga and we recollect the occasion when in the time of the Buddha there were uh, 1250 uh, arahants, fully awakened human beings uh, spontaneously uh, arrived to see the Buddha to pay their respects. Um, It's also an occasion when the Buddha uh, offered perhaps one of the best-known teachings that uh, he gave, Uh, and uh, not just within the Theravadan tradition, but uh, the other Buddhist traditions as well is very simple um, but very thorough and poignant teaching. That uh, Four lines, refrain from doing that which is evil, cultivate that which is good, purify the heart. This is the teaching of the Buddhas. Or in Pali, sabba papasa akarnam kusalasa Satchita Pariyotapanang Etang sasanang is known traditionally as the Awada Patimoka. And this is, of course, as uh, I'm sure everybody would appreciate, is not just uh, sophisticated Buddhist philosophy, but a, um, a map, a guide for how to live our lives if we wanted to follow the path of the Buddha, if we want to follow the Dhamma, if we want to be disciples of the Buddha, this is the way we go. And and it uh, it shows up in all sorts of areas, and you notice we may have uh, traditional gatherings, festivals, giving events. Often the first thing people do is take the five precepts, and why do you do that? Is that just a thing that buddhists do I know that's line one refrain from doing that which is evil the five precepts first we cultivate we need to cultivate the ground we need to establish the foundations we need to generate a context that is suitable a container that is suitable for the dhamma to grow and i think in the past i've i've referred to uh the uh, arduous work that I remember seeing my mother do in the summer when she was preserving the green beans for the winter not only did my father put a lot of work into growing the green beans but my mother then spent a lot of time uh, slaving over a hot stove preserving these beans for the winter but one of the most important aspects of that was sterilizing the jars I remember boiling these jars in the in the, in the vessel to make sure that these containers were suitable Now, if you don't sterilize the jars and you put the beans in and and then a few weeks few months later your beans are all growing fungus and you can't use them and so there's an intelligence in in this formula refrain from doing that which is evil uh, cultivate that which is good uh, we um We, of course, see this in other traditions where people will go through cleansing rituals before they enter the sanctuary. A similar uh, concept, a similar appreciation. First, we prepare ourselves um, uh, for the practice, the cultivation of Dhamma. This is not to be overlooked. Uh, If it is overlooked, uh, some of us may have had the experience uh, or seen it for other people where they're in a hurry to go to line three, that is, purify the heart, realize the essential nature of all existence and have some sort of an experience. Thing and, and all they do is end up crashing and uh, falling apart, which is unfortunate. Uh, the ground is not properly prepared. So, papasa akamnam kusalasa upasampadar. Satchita chita pre yot this uh, generous, simple, but uh, clear teaching that the Buddha gave us of the path of practice. And in response to these uh, uh, 1,250 fully awakened human beings turning up to pay their respects, and one of the things that is worth noticing I think or reflecting on when considering this remembering this event is how the expression of gratitude or expression of respect that's taking place is the natural consequence of practice we want a barometer for our practice is our practice going in the right way we will feel an increase in gratitude will feel an increase in respects, uh, and even the Buddha himself. Uh, if you read the uh, the teachings, you see. You remember, when the Buddha, after Buddha's enlightenment, he wanted to pay his respects, and and he used his awakened mind to scan the universe to see who he should pay respects to, and well, it wasn't anybody more realized than him, so he still paid respects to the Dhamma. And when the Buddha uh, got round to um, uh, recovering from uh, his enlightenment and to start teaching, a couple of months later, he scanned the universe and and said, well, who should I start teaching? And the first person that came to mind, or the first individuals that came to mind, were his previous teachers. As a gesture of gratitude, he wanted to go and see his previous teachers, even though they weren't as awakened as he was. Um, he didn't think well you know those losers he didn't was no quite the opposite there was the heart of gratitude and wanting to go and share what he had realized and as it happened he um, he found out that they had all passed away and so the next place he turned was to his companions on the path uh, the Panchawagi bhikkhu uh, his five uh, companions who and were similarly seeking uh, realization and awakening, and so it was in fact to these uh, companions that he expressed his gratitude uh, by sharing his realization. So I think this is something to uh, to dwell on hmm, if we're looking at how our practices is, is proceeding. That uh, this interest, wish to show respect and and later on this evening, there'll be an opportunity for all of us to uh, show our respect and gratitude, offering flowers uh, beautifully prepared by our ma'am and, and uh, Martin and Will and various other people, uh, so that we have this opportunity to make these offerings. And, and this is, uh, as I was saying, something that, that we can become conscious of. Uh, uh, Of course, there's the form of practice that we're all familiar with, and as we become more familiar and more at ease with the Buddhist way, there's the risk that we just fall into performing the pujas in a perfunctory way. Perfunctory puja is not the point. Really, a more elevated level of practice is patipati puja, where we move out of just... Going through the forms, which have their place. Absolutely, the forms have their place. They align the body, speech, and mind with that which we hold most precious, the triple gem. Yes, we go through bowing and chanting and making offerings in the way that others have done for the last two and a half thousand years. We educate ourselves, train ourselves to perform these pujas, these forms, in a graceful, comfortable, easeful way. But we, uh, we're wise to be careful that we bring mindfulness to how we engage in these forms. Because the forms, they're like, they're like opening the door so that we can go into another space. Like you, you come into the sanctuary here and you, you've got to grasp the door handle and open the door. And that's, that's like the function of form. It's like we shake hands with somebody. That's not the conversation and we shake hands so as to enable the conversation, or we pay anjali or we engage in whatever ritual form we have for initiating a communication. In our communication with the dhamma, in our communication with the triple gem, we bow, we make offerings. But again, to say "This this is the level of form, this is the way of opening the door of coming into the sanctuary. the space in which we do our work. It's like coming in. The Buddha's invited us to share his workshop. We open the door and we go into the Buddha's workshop where we do our spiritual work. We do our cultivation. So we don't want to mistake the form for anything more than what it is. It's definitely got its place. If you don't open the front door to the Dhamma Hall, you can't get in. We need to open the door. We use form to get into the space but the form the, is what initiates the, the, the uh, entry into that space. It's not the point. So many of you will have uh, noticed the uh, teaching by Ajahn Chah on the, uh, the calendar for this month, the month of March. Uh, Ajahn Chah is, is talking about uh, showing respect uh, to the fully enlightened one In the the short teaching which says, that, says, Humbly allow the triple gem of wisdom, truth, and purity to abide in your heart as a way of showing respect to the fully enlightened one. Hmm. Humbly allow the triple gem of wisdom, truth, and purity to abide in your heart as a way of showing respect to the fully enlightened one now we're all used to the traditional forms of bowing and offering candles and incense and chanting uh, to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha this is the way of showing respect to the triple gem but here Ajahn Chahun his typical um, teaching, skillful teaching style is taking us out of these forms that we're familiar with and edging us inviting us towards a practice orientation yeah. you can spend your whole life chanting sutras and bowing and offering candles and incense and all you do is just make the paintwork dirty yeah. it doesn't necessarily purify the heart yeah. that is what the Buddha wanted us to do was to go into the sanctuary and do our spiritual work you know, of purifying the heart yes, refrain from that which is evil yes, cultivate that which is good but purification of the heart that's what he was really inviting us to do. And that's not just what this Buddha, but all Buddhas, Airtan, Buddha, all the Buddhas have been giving us the same message. So this is um, again worth contemplating on this occasion of Magha Puja to remember that the forms we have of spiritual practice, uh, as beautiful, as elegant, as inspiring, as supportive, as uplifting, as energizing as they can be, are limited. Yeah? They're, they're opening the door to take us into another space where we can do our work. And so here, Ajahn honoring the, the triple gem is allowing these qualities or cultivating these qualities of wisdom, truth, and purity. This is really how we honor the triple gem. We can sweep the Dhamma Hall and we can use the best, most favourite incense as we do. Uh, and that's all suitable. But that's still the level of form. Yeah. Purification of the heart is really honouring the Buddha, honouring the Dhamma, honouring the Sangha. So what does that mean? Well, that's practice. That's where Pariyati moves into Patipati. Yeah, where learning about Dhamma moves into a different frequency. Yeah. Pariyati, pati, Pativedi, the three stages of practice. Learning about, cultivating and realization. Yeah. So, Ajahn Chah in this verse is encouraging, inviting us to move into actually applying ourselves in our everyday life. Not compartmentalizing spiritual life to the form of the sanctuary the temple you know like people who you know sometimes come to the monastery and behave themselves very well and then they leave and they're uh, breaking precepts all over the place and and uh, behaving in ways that uh, create confusion and disharmony and that's not the direction we want to go in you know compartmentalizing the Dhamma, you know, keeping it in the Tripitaka case or, or just the Buddha image on the shrine, that's not it. And so bringing Dhamma practice into everyday life is learning to meet our experience. So one way of understanding this, in my own contemplation, this is how I think about it, is is, honoring the triple gem is meeting our experience in every moment as it is. Just so, training ourselves to do that. The worldly mind, the conventional mind, is always looking for agreeable experiences, pleasing experiences, uh, experiences that accord with our preferences, with our likes. And the dislikes, we just try to get away from them. The disagreeable experiences, we try to get away from them. If that's what we follow, that's not practice. That's the way of the world. That's my way. When we go for refuge to the Triple Gem, we go for refuge to the Buddha's way, which means meeting experience as it is, not taking anything from it, not adding anything to it. It's just so. It's like this. I was talking about this a few days ago where I talked about the cultivation of the appreciation of beauty and and contemplating why is it that people on the spiritual path seem to make a problem out of appreciation of beauty. And one of the reasons is that we don't have the faculty of restraint, Sangmara Indriya. We don't have this sufficiently cultivated. So when beauty appears in front of us, the heart leaps out. The heart energy follows the object of beauty. And then craving arises, then we suffer. But for an awakened being, they still see the beauty. There's still the appreciation of the beautiful sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touches, or mental impressions. There's still the impact on the senses. There's still the pleasure arising. And what's the difference is the heart energy doesn't leap out. There's no craving, so there's no suffering. And that's the difference between us and the awakened ones. And so for the awakened ones, as we, we know, the Buddha was talking about his experience. He says, in the hearing, there is just the hearing. In the seeing, there is just the seeing. In the tasting, is just the tasting. In the touching, there is just the touching. In the smelling, there is just the smelling. In the cognizing, there is just the cognizing. Life is just so. Yeah. Nothing added, nothing taken away. The Buddha still had unpleasant experiences. He had to put up with irritating monks who were squabbling and causing disharmony, and one of his monks even tried to kill him. Got The local execution elephant, Nalagiri, got him drunk and sent him on a stampede and tried to splat, kill the Buddha. Fortunately, it didn't work. He tried to cause a schism in the community. I mean, Really difficult monks, squabbling, and the Buddha had to put up with it. He didn't enjoy it. I'm sure the Buddha wasn't sitting there enjoying it. It was painful. When his chief disciples, Vinomaha Mahamoggallana and Sariputta, passed away, he he made the observation, he said, it's like the sun and the moon have gone out of the sky. That's a fairly strong perception of loss. The Buddha felt pain, but nothing added, nothing taken away from it it was just so pain was just so beauty pleasure was just so yeah. if we want to honor the triple gem cultivate the just so mind yeah. we can do this in, in our in our practice you know, sitting meditation and you know, some memory of something that happened in the past arrives and if mindfulness is is sharp enough if concentration is sufficiently well established, if we're present enough here with this moment, memory is just so. If we're a bit slow and then the memory gets activated and then we have some feeling arise, pleasant feeling, pleasant feeling is just so. We can stop it there. We can see it. Now, we're not denying it. Memory is memory. Pleasant feelings, pleasant feeling, or maybe painful feeling. you know, painful memories, or memories that elicit painful feelings. You know, if we're crisp enough, if we're sharp enough, we catch it, we feel it. It's just so. This is honouring the triple gem. This is pati, pati puja. This is paying respect to our teacher. Um, even when the Buddha was dying, and and various people were bringing him flowers and so on and uh, he commented at the time if you really want to show appreciation and respect you go away and practice He yeah. wasn't being heartless actually it was being heartful He was showing us what really makes a difference yeah. so cultivating the just so mind for some people the just so experience happens spontaneously you know Maybe this has happened for you or maybe you've read about it or heard about it and and in some situation, totally unexpected, out in the countryside or all resistance to reality falls away and you maybe experience yourself in a completely different reality where you see experience as all just so. It always has been this way, it is this way, and always will be this way. Even if you forget it, this is how it is, and it's utterly okay. Hmm. Some people don't have such an experience, but they can still cultivate it. And so this is how I personally appreciate the teachings of the Buddha, the teachings of Ajahn Chah, the teachings of all the great uh, teachers that we have the good fortune to come across as an encouragement to cultivate this disposition. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Meet life and its agreeability and its disagreeability. We can react according to our preferences. I like it, I dislike it. Or we can prepare ourselves to say, it's just so. Yeah. We feel it, but it's just like that. Yeah. Like sadness. Yeah, there's a lot in life that's very sad. And next time we're in tears over something that's sad, maybe we can bring that to heart, bring that to mind. Tears are also just so. It's not that we shouldn't feel grief. It's not that we shouldn't feel loss. Wherever we catch it, wherever we catch ourselves, to remind ourselves it's like this. It is like this. Yeah. Another quality that is uh, particularly worth reflecting on, I think, is, um, and supports the cultivation of the just-so awareness is uh, patient endurance. It's a um, quality that the Buddha himself, as you would all know, uh, strongly advocated. And in fact, he referred to it as, as the ultimate force for transformation call it ultimate, not just something you might try. Uh, Patient endurance is an ultimate force. It's one of the great powers, one of the great paramedes and and something the Buddha himself spent a very long time specifically intentionally cultivating. And if we are unaware of this possibility, we can overlook it. The mind that is um, predominantly conditioned by materialistic values uh, tends to just see how can we get things quicker? How can I get what I want quicker? How can I get rid of what I don't want quicker? And that's a very initial approach to life. And not very productive. Because there's a lot of things in life. You can't hurry. You just can't hurry them. You know, like when I walk down to the lake there, it's I don't know how long is it since we planted those trees? Two years? Three years? Three or four years. Three or four years since we planted those oak trees down there. And I don't know how many inches have they grown? <laughs> Six inches maybe? Yeah, this is Northumberland. Everything grows slowly. I used to live in the forest in Australia and everything grows quickly there. It's always rainy, it's always hot. Or Burma, you live in Burma or Sri Lanka. Everything's growing, you know, a wonderful garden in no time at all. Here we are in Northumberland, three or four years and (laughs) there's still just a few sticks down there. And I walk down there along the avenue of oak trees and there's just a bunch of stakes, you know. Well, fortunately, I have faith in the way of things. And even acorns grow into oak trees. That's the way of acorns. So long as there's not too many bugs and there's enough water, then those acorns will become oak trees. But you do have to be patient. If you don't have any patience, you won't bother planting little saplings. And then we won't have any beautiful oak trees. And Well, so it is with many heart qualities as well. Forbearance, the the capacity, the spiritual muscle, which means we can hold frustration. Our preferences tell us that frustration is bad. You shouldn't feel frustrated. But actually, frustration is a way of building up strength. If you can hold frustration in the right way, uh, mindfully, carefully, sensitively, your whole frustration actually strong, uh, and also it can transform our perceptions. Uh, this morning I posted out my my full moon Dhammapada uh, contemplation with a verse from the Dhammapada, and and as it happened, it was a uh, verse on on patience, patient endurance that the Buddha gave um, but also as it happened the email service provider that I was using the bulk emailing service provider I was using failed my full moon verse didn't go out to the 700 and something people that I hoped it would go out to and so I tried it again and it still didn't go out and so I tried it again (laughs) still didn't go out so then I had to contact Our IT friend, who happened to be in China, who uh, is uh, patiently working with the British consulate to get a visa for his wife to come back here. And he very kindly uh, went in there and realized that our service provider had a little glitch in it, and and he addressed the issue. And then everybody got three or four versions of today's (laughs) commentary on patience. But what was very nice was when I sent out an apology to the, uh, the uh, receivers of this mailing, and several of them got back, and there wasn't one single complaint, quite the opposite. Uh, pretty well everybody said, well, you can never have too many reminders of patient endurance. And people are getting it. There are people who get this, and that's what the verse was about. Actually, there are those who learn to put aside all confusion, and abide in patient endurance. This is a force that the Buddha was encouraging us to cultivate, and the cultivation of this ability is one way of honoring our teacher. So yes, we can think of going into the temple, and we can keep the shrine beautiful, and we can bow elegantly, and we can memorize all the suttas, and all of these forms have their place, but also when the emailing Client breaks down or our computer breaks down can we remember the just so mind have we got the patience to meet the experience it's like this absolutely I don't want it to be like this this was you know something I'm fond of doing I like sending out this message it's something I enjoy doing but if you can't do what you enjoy doing, you don't get what you want, how do we meet it? This is pati pati puja. This is uh, showing our devotion to the triple gem by applying the principles of Dhamma. Now, if we don't train ourselves like this, well, what happens is we are defined by our reactions. When we like something, we get all happy, and when we dislike something, we get all unhappy. And as we all know, this is, generally speaking, the way of the world. But it's not an obligation. It doesn't have to be this way. That's why the Buddha and the great disciples have made the effort to teach us. I mean, after the Buddha's enlightenment, he could have lived a very comfortable life, but through his wisdom and compassion he realized that actually living as a renunciate monk was the ideal form for communicating this teaching, for helping people understand. Setting an example, it's not that we need more to make us happy. What we need is wisdom. the wisdom, The Buddha's wisdom was radiant and unfailing from the time of his enlightenment onwards. just because he had to put up with virtual starvation and eat horse chaff one year when there was a famine and put up with recalcitrant monks and and then had pain in his back from arthritis when he was old. Just because the conditions of his life were sometimes disagreeable didn't mean that his just-so awareness was altered. The Buddha's just-so awareness was never altered. It was always just so. So this is something that, in our honoring of the Triple Gem, we can we can cultivate. And the temptation to turn to fantasies about how life could be otherwise is just that. We can know that. With mindfulness, with awareness, you know, sitting there, and the conditions are disagreeable for some reason, we can see the tendency of the mind to you go, know, what if it was like this? What if it was like that? What if those trees grew faster? Or, or what if you know, the weather was warmer? Or you know, we could all have our own fantasies that we can create. And that's, generally speaking, a wonderful faculty we have. We can extrapolate. We can say, what if I had more compassion? Well, that's a nice fantasy. I'll actually engage that and mindfully work towards it. What if I was less angry? Yeah, that's that's worth being aware of. But even that level of what if, we're not grasping it. As soon as we grasp that, what if I had more compassion, or what if I was less angry, as soon as we grasp it, we suffer. So the faculty of mind that can imagine things being otherwise in itself is just so. It can be an inspiration, it can lift us up, it can support us in our practice. But if we don't have an appreciation of the true nature of that faculty, then we get caught up in it, we grasp it, and then we spoil it. Even though imagining things being otherwise in itself can be a wholesome, positive aspect of mind, we can also use it to torture ourselves and it shouldn't be this way I shouldn't be this way life shouldn't be this way well that's the opposite of honouring our teacher and that's not what the Buddha was encouraging when he gave the awadapatimoka of, of purifying the heart purifying the heart could be understood as cultivating what the Buddha had cultivated you know, the just so mind you know, developing the patient endurance whatever's going on Whatever's happening in the moment, to have the subtlety, the subtlety of attention to change from our normal habitual way of reacting, to remember, it's like this. This person is, is excruciatingly irritating. But also, my irritation is just so. Even my impatience is just so. When we learn to be patient with our impatience, that's really good. When we've got a feeling for this patient endurance practice, I can choose to be patient. It feels really good. This is not just an insignificant thing. I can choose to bear with this. Even my impatience, even when I fail to be patient, I can be patient with it. I can choose to be patient with it. Or at least I can work I'm being patient with my impatience. And I would suggest in so doing, we experience the feeling of gratitude that is natural when we're practicing rightly. So just as those 1,250 fully awakened beings on the full moon, Maga, all those years ago, wanted to express their gratitude to the teacher the buddha we also in just small moments like deciding to be patient with our own impatience can experience gratitude for this opportunity to practice so thank you very much this evening for your attention Oh. Uh...